This is the Mathematics Education Podcast from MathEdPodcast.com. Welcome to the MathEd Podcast. My name is Sam Otten from the University of Missouri, and I'm lucky to have two guests with me from the University of Maryland. Uh, Daniel Chazen is a full professor in the Department of Curriculum and Instruction. Dan, thanks for being here. My pleasure. And we're also joined by Lawrence Clark, his colleague at the University of Maryland, an assistant professor in the Department of Curriculum and Instruction. Lawrence, thanks for being here. Uh, Thank you for inviting us. So we're going to be digging into uh, an issue from Teachers College Record. Normally on this podcast, I I talk to a scholar about one of their studies, but we're going to broaden things out a little bit and actually tackle a special issue. Um, It's a special issue related to racial identities of mathematics teachers and students, um, and it particularly focuses on well-respected African-American math teachers in urban schools. Um, That's from Volume 115, Number 2 from Teachers College Record. But before we get to that special issue, I want to ask uh, Dan and Lawrence to tell us about their grad school experiences uh, and their dissertation just briefly. Uh, Dan, you'll start with you. Well, thanks. Graduate school for me was an experience at the Harvard Graduate School of Education. I studied there with uh, Judah Schwartz. And what I worked on during that time was the geometric supposer, which was an early microcomputer piece of software that a number of teachers in local schools were using. And together with colleagues from Education Development Center then in Newton, Massachusetts, I would go out and visit with them in their schools and interview their students. And it it was really a a wonderful experience for me as a way to get started in math education. Mm. And Lawrence? Uh, I attended Emory University in Atlanta, Georgia for graduate school with my master's degree and my PhD. And my advisor was uh, Dr. Robert Jensen. We had a very small uh, group of math educators at Emory University. In fact, there was an N of one, him, and there were only (laughs) a a couple of us there that were studying mathematics education. But it gave us an opportunity to have a really broad exposure to a lot of uh, different ideas and, and theoretical frameworks. So my dissertation focused on influences on mathematics instruction in urban schools. It was a mixed methods study, and it looked at uh, and analyzed large-scale survey data from a number of different school districts, as well as interviews of uh, specific teachers in the study around just why they did the things that they did in urban schools. And so staying in that context of urban schools and looking particularly at African-American mathematics teachers, that's really the context of the special issue. And uh, Daniel, I was wondering if you could tell us the motivation for this special issue in Teachers College Record and where it sort of got its start. So this special issue was an attempt to share the work done by a project that was called the Case Studies Project that was a part of our Mid-Atlantic Center for Mathematics Teaching and Learning. So there were a group of faculty and graduate students at Maryland that did this work together. And we were looking for an opportunity to share the work that we had done, particularly around the question of engaging race as a category in examinations of teaching. So some of the key folks on the project, Lawrence, who's here today, Whitney Johnson, who was then a postdoc on the project, Anna Edwards, Andrew Brandlinger, and a number of of doctoral students who worked with us. So the title of the special issue was Studying Black Mathematics Teachers in Today's Urban Schools. 
integrating social and historical consideration into examinations of the teaching of content. So the special issue was something that I co-edited with Robert Croninger, who's also at the University of Maryland. And in the special issue, there were five papers produced by the project, an introductory paper, two case studies, and then two analytic pieces, the ones that Lawrence is going to discuss today, as well as a response by Paul Cobb and Kara Jackson. A key aspect to our framing of the special issue is how we conceptualize teachers as social actors who bring individual knowledge, personal experiences, as well as group memberships to teaching, and how they use these group memberships, personal experiences, individual knowledge as resource in their instruction. So in particular, we think of African-American teachers as a group that shares experiences and culture whose relevance to the work of teaching is what we were trying to understand. Hmm. And Lawrence, you had uh, you first authored, of course, with colleagues, but you first authored two articles in a special issue. And how do you see those two articles uh, fitting into what Daniel just described? Well, I see them fitting in because they actually look at this interaction of African-American mathematics teachers with their African-American students in two different ways. Um, there's a sort of a contemporary treatment of examining these relationships through the first article, the, the article titled African-American Teachers as Agents in Their African-American Students' Mathematics Identity Formation and Development. So it's looking at it from a very uh, contemporary perspective and thinking about it in relationship to contemporary contextual factors. The other article takes a different approach. The other article was actually inspired by the first article, in a way. As we thought about the ways African-American mathematics teachers were interacting with their students in contemporary contexts, I really began to think about this from a historical perspective. And throughout time, has the role of the African-American mathematics teacher changed? Are there messages that the African-American mathematics teacher has communicated to their students based on particular moments or periods in time? So the second article really attempts to try to think about the relationship between the African-American mathematics teacher and his or her students in a historical context throughout the decades um, and even, you know, speculating how it may exist and change in the future. Mm -hmm. And we're going to have a chance to talk to Lawrence a little bit more about one of his articles, but um, Dan, I wanted to give you a moment too, if you wanted to say just uh, a little bit about the other articles, just to give them um, some space here in this episode as well. So in many ways, the, the two articles that Lawrence is going to talk about build off of the two case studies. And the two case studies are organized around two research questions that take these general issues and make them much more specific to the particular context in which we were working. So one research question that undergirds the case studies is the question of whether, of how in the context of an introductory algebra course with a statewide end-of-course exam, that's part of a system of exams used to determine high school graduation, what instructional strategies do well-respected African-American mathematics teachers teaching in non-selective urban schools 
used to convey to their students a sense of purpose for engaging with mathematics. And the second structuring research question was what experiences as African Americans in our society seem to influence these teachers in selecting and crafting these instructional strategies. And as these two questions suggest, a part of what was going on, whether there were there was a lot of change in policy related to high school math teaching going on at the time. And we wanted to see how those played out in urban schools and understand in particular how African American math teachers were utilizing the resources that they have to respond to these uh, new pressures on math teachers. Hmm. My guests are Daniel Chazen and Lawrence Clark from the University of Maryland. And Lawrence, I want to give you a chance to talk a little bit more about your article entitled African American Mathematics Teachers as Agents in Their African American Students' Mathematics Identity Formation. Um, This is from the special issue uh, number two in volume 115 from Teachers College Record. In this article, Lawrence, you really dig into the cases of uh, Madison Morgan and Floyd Lee. I was wondering if you could just tell us the goal of the study and then orient us a little bit to that setting. Sure. So the study really focused on attempting to understand the perspectives and the practices of the two teachers in relationship to cultivating and supporting their students' mathematics identity uh, development and formation. So first to talk a little bit about the the two teachers, um, we purposefully selected two teachers that were both African-American but had relatively different backgrounds. So one of the teachers is female, and she, at the time of data collection, she was in her 40s. She was somewhat of a career changer. She was trained as a landscape architect, and she went to school in the north for the most part in a relatively, well, actually a a segregated uh, schooling environment. And uh, the other teacher was a relatively young uh, African-American male, 25 years old. His name was Floyd. Again, her name was Madison in the study. (laughs) And he was, he was actually teaching in the community in which he went to school. And he just had different experiences as a mathematics learner than than, than Madison did. So we wanted to try to understand the extent to which their racialized experiences influenced their perspectives and their practice. But because of the fact that it is, it is very important to not essentialize the African-American experience and for people to understand that all African-Americans don't have all of the same experiences and think in all of the same, in, in exactly the same ways about teaching and learning and and many other aspects of of education, we wanted to see where they differed in their their approaches and to look across both of those teachers and see if there are some sort of relevant themes that seem to, to, to run across both of them. So the way that we decided to approach doing this is we had to find, of course, a framework through which to look at their perspectives and practices. Mm-hmm. And uh, there is considerable interest right now in issues of identity, in both student identity and teacher identity. And we looked for a, a framework that could help us think about this concept of a mathematics identity. I mean, I think more and more people are beginning to realize that 
performing at a high level in mathematics, there's a lot more to it than just knowing mathematics. In other words, you have to have some sense of yourself as a mathematics learner. You have to have some sense of yourself as a doer of mathematics because of a lot of the sort of social ways in which we understand uh, learning and knowledge is constructed. So well, what we ended up doing is borrowing heavily from Danny Martin's work, who does a lot of work around uh, African the experiences of African-American students in mathematical contexts. And one of the things that he, he really pushes on is this idea of a mathematics identity and helping us understand that this is not just a cognitive process, it's a social process. So he, he constructed a framework by which we could look at mathematics identity and he really came up with four dimensions. Uh, one being a student's perception of their mathematics ability, another being the student's perception of the importance of mathematics, the third being the student's perception of the nature of the mathematical tasks in which they are engaged in, and a fourth dimension is motivations and attributions students have around success or failure in mathematics. So. What he's positing is that students have to have a strong math, not, not only have to know mathematics well and be able to, to perform uh, the, the computations, the reasoning, the problem solving, et cetera. They also have to have a very strong sense of self in mathematical context, have to have a strong sense of their own ability, have to have a, some understanding of the importance of mathematics, um, engage in the mathematical tasks and find them interesting and be motivated in particular ways and attribute their success in, in productive and healthy ways. So saying all of that to say, it was important for us to, to adopt and use this framework as we looked at the work of Madison and Floyd and to think in terms of, well, wow, in what ways do they, these two teachers, support and cultivate this mathematics identity among their African-American students? How do they do it? How do they perceive it and how do they do it? And uh, do they, they perceive it as important. Mm -hmm. And so with that framework and that goal in hand, what were the data that you uh, collected that, that you then were able to analyze with that framework? So the, the study itself was a qualitative study in which multiple classroom observations and multiple interviews were conducted with each of the six uh, participants in the study. We chose two for this particular analysis of data. And so there were approximately nine interviews for each of the mm -hmm. teachers and approximately on average 25 classroom observations. We coded both the interviews and the observations with the framework that I described earlier. Right. Now, the first thing we realized is when we began coding this is that all of this stuff just overlapped terribly. So <laughs> when you, we, we were looking for um, perspectives and practices related to ability, the mm -hmm. next thing we knew we were double coding in the other dimensions. And so one mm -hmm. of the first things that we realized from this work is, you know, it's very difficult to separate and isolate both the perspectives and the practices and map them neatly onto any one mm -hmm. of them one of the dimensions. Madison may begin to talk about ability, and before the end of the sentence, we're talking about mm -hmm. the nature of the mathematical tasks in our classroom, mm -hmm. and then we're bouncing mm -hmm. over into um, the importance of mathematics, and so it just zigzags all over the place. So, right. and that was a learning lesson for us, because, you know, as researchers, we like neat frameworks that we can make sense of and manage, 
and we did. We think we did a pretty good job, but uh, yeah, we, there's value in those dimensions, even if you can't parse them, you know, into completely separate piles. There can still be that the value from actually thinking about each of those four different dimensions. Right. When we began to dig down in the data and identify the perspectives and practices of the two teachers, we did notice that at times their racialized experiences emerged as influences on their practice, okay. uh, but they would they may be influenced differently. So, for example, um, Madison Morgan. She went to college and felt as though she had, she, well, first she felt as though she had received a pretty solid mathematics education when she was in high school. Okay. But when she went to college, she realized that she was woefully underprepared for mm. college level mathematics. And she attributes, if not all, a considerable amount of her underpreparedness to the fact that she was schooled in segregated schools and did not have access to the quality of mathematics instruction that some of her white counterparts in other parts of the city had. So she tells the story about how when she was young, she went to visit a white friend at an, in another part of the city, and they somehow engaged in, in looking at mathematical work that, the, that her friend was doing, and she felt she had never seen that mathematics before, and she was just astonished that the young girl was exposed to mathematics that she had not been exposed to. Mm. So when she goes to college, she finds that she has to retake courses or be prepared in mathematics that she thought that she was well prepared in. So when we take this into the classroom, say let's take for example the dimension of uh, the nature of mathematical tasks, one of the things mm. that Madison expresses is that she does not want her African-American students to experience the mathematics education that she did. So what she attempts to do is to create a mathematical experience for her students that is much more rigorous, that requires a considerable amount of reasoning and thinking and connecting to real life and real world examples because she felt as though that the curriculum was not serving her students in ways that um, that it should. So even in the context of this accountability era, and even within the pressures of preparing her students for standardized tests, she felt that, she, that her students would be underserved and unprepared, just as she was, if she didn't do things differently. And, mm -hmm. you know, we would ask her specifically, do you feel like this had something to do with your experience as an African-American mathematics learner, and she would say, absolutely. So that is one example of how her racialized experience actually influenced the nature of her instruction. Mm -hmm. When we move to other dimensions, such as the dimensions of ability, it's very interesting the ways that Floyd Lee talks about his students and talks to his students about the concept of ability. He believes that there is a very weak connection between mathematics ability and mathematics performance. Mm -hmm. So what I mean by that is he continuously, I almost want to say taunted some of his students in his very interesting way of talking to his students to really examine themselves and to understand that 
it is not their mathematical ability that is driving their performance. It is their focus and their effort. So mm -hmm. things that he would do, particularly with his students who are in the lower level classes, one of the things that he would do is he would make explicit comparisons between his lower level classes and his classes that were identified as higher level, advanced honors, whatever. He's, and he would tell them, he said, the only difference between you and the kids that are in my advanced classes, the only difference between them is their focus and their effort. It has nothing to do with their or your mathematical, quote, ability, unquote. It, mm -hmm. it, it's a different set of skills that they're employing to do well in school. And he would tell them that they have all of the, uh, they have everything that they need to succeed in mathematical environments. But if they don't have the focus and the, the effort, then they may fall short. And, and again, he, he brought in aspects of his racialized experiences to, to frame and, 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 and move that message forward. Um, he did not perceive himself to be a particularly talented mathematical person. He felt that he was motivated through high expectations placed on him by his parents. And he knew that he was stubborn and he was a hard worker. Mm -hmm. And he saw the value in doing well in mathematics so that he could then graduate from high school, attend college, and make something of himself. So in many ways, it was really quite interesting the way that he would, I'm moving into another dimension here, he would talk about the importance of mathematics. He would almost talk about mathematics as not being that important at all. It was, it's not, it, it is what you make it. It should not be perceived as this extremely difficult body of knowledge that takes some genius mind to get its head around. It is a doable, approachable body of knowledge that if you see yourself as someone who can succeed at it, then you can do it. Mm -hmm. Now, what I find interesting about this is that I know many teachers may be sending these exact same messages to students. White teachers may be sending these messages to black students. Black teachers may be sending these messages to white students in any configuration you want to think about it. But when you read the transcripts and you, and, and you listen to the, and you watch the observations and you watch the classroom interactions, you feel the sense that in both of their classrooms that their actions are in many ways based on a sense of protection and a, and a sense of connection to their students and wanting their students to perceive themselves in ways different than ways that the external community may perceive them. They, it was clear that they were attempting to empower them in ways that, that were quite remarkable and interesting and in many ways humorous. <laughs> um, again, I could, another one of the, the moments that I found very funny and very interesting was in, in relation to the dimension of uh, the nature of mathematical tasks and the ways that on one hand, Floyd Lee did not perceive his practice as being particularly focused on his African-American students, at least in his interviews. He would say, oh, you know, I teach all kids the same, I think. Well, he didn't have that many kids other than African-American kids, but he perceived that his practice was relatively culture-free or neutral. 
Yet, when he would engage in practices with his African-American kids, he consistently used African-American humor, youth cultural reference, ways of knowing and being in the African-American community as tools to contextualize the mathematics. And it was prevalent, and then many times it was profound. And it, it, be, it began to make us really begin to realize that there are some sort of subconscious influences on practice that teachers don't even see themselves because mm-hmm. to hear him to talk to hear him talk about it and then to see him do it mm-hmm. there was clearly a, a disconnect on the flip side the same, there was a certain sort of paradox in Madison's practice also she claimed that almost everything she did was about empowering african americans to see themselves as african american learners Mm-hmm. African-American students to see themselves as Af- African-American mathematics students. And it was a very personal, uh, the, the work was very personal for her. But if you were to see her in practice, she rarely used cultural reference in her work. She didn't necessarily access youth culture, the things the kids did in their daily life or in their communities as much as Floyd did. But she did use the tasks to engage her students in deeper mathematical reasoning and, and problem solving. So it was a real interesting paradox where it's, he stated he didn't think he was doing it, but you saw him doing it a lot more in his classroom. She stated that she was doing it. Mm-hmm. You didn't see it as much in her classroom, but you just saw some different things. Mm-hmm. So as we went through the study um, and gathered the data and wrote it up and, and thought about it, it was evident that these teachers were working on the dimensions of this framework explicitly and implicitly. And through this, we, we saw that they, they definitely saw the importance of developing in their African-American students in particular, a very strong mathematics identity. And they did feel that their racialized experiences contributed to that. Mm-hmm. And they did, did feel that the mathematics classroom even if they didn't state it, when you went in and saw their mathematics classroom, mm-hmm. it was a mm-hmm. racialized space, as Danny mm-hmm. Martin likes to say. Mm-hmm. I'm speaking with uh, Lawrence Clark from University of Maryland about his study in the special issue in Teachers College Records. So, Lawrence, I was wondering if you could just synthesize a, a couple takeaways uh, for the listener or you know the future reader if they go out and grab this study and take a look at it. Well, I guess the big takeaway is uh, from this study and from many studies that preceded it who are focused on this idea of a student's mathematics identity. The the mathematics identity of of students, it it exists. And it has, it's it's very important in teacher education programs as well as in the professional development of practicing teachers to attend to it. We must attend to the way students see themselves as mathematics learners, particularly in relationship to their ability uh, the importance of mathematics, nature of mathematical tasks, and motivation. Um, what I think is important is to try to understand what knowledge base do teachers need to possess to do a really good job around supporting their students' mathematics identity formation and development. I mean, I think in the mathematics education research community, there has been a considerable focus on teachers' mathematical knowledge mm-hmm. for teaching, mm-hmm. pedagogical content knowledge, and other forms of a very mathematics 
specific types of knowledge, even if that knowledge base incorporates things like students' misconceptions, uh, student errors, the study of student work, et cetera. It's still very mathematically based, and it, it doesn't really open itself to thinking about issues of uh, socialization and issues that are captured in the framework. So one of the big takeaways from this paper is that in the mathematics education community, we must attend to it in some way. We must create mechanisms, courses, um, professional learning opportunities to really dig in and figure out what are the best ways that we can support teachers, I mean, students, mathematics identity uh, formation and development, and acknowledge in these teacher education programs and professional learning opportunities that race is a that a student and a teacher's racialized experiences is a part of that formation and that that's okay. That mm -hmm. we can talk about the racialized experiences of teachers mm -hmm. and students in professional learning opportunities and use those racialized experiences as tools and assets as opposed to doing what we often do, which is talk about race in a very static way as if you're a member of a race and mm -hmm. It is a color or a category, and the experiences that are associated with that really don't have much to do with your capacity to engage in, in, in mathematical contexts. Or the other thing that we might do is just to pretend that it doesn't exist and exactly. try to just ignore it completely rather than realizing that uh, it's actually it's real and we, we need to find ways to think about it and use it, support it. So, and, and so I guess the, the other takeaway is that, you know, we can learn from teachers in urban contexts who are engaged with students of color, and we can learn from these teachers in how to create learning environments that are effective and resonate with uh, students of color. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think the, the way to do that is to tap into teachers that are successful at it. They may not engage in practices that are listed in our handbooks of mathematics, research on mathematics instruction. They may not engage in the practices that are listed as the most effective practices in, in mathematics instruction, because a lot of this stuff doesn't feel and look very mathematical at all. When you look at the work that Floyd is doing and his speeches, and you look at the work that Madison is doing, sometimes it's very difficult to code it as mathematics practice, instructional practice but it's still intertwined into the work that they're doing, and mm -hmm. it appears to be having an effect mm -hmm. in helping students see themselves as members of a uh, mathematically proficient community. Mm -hmm. Pulling out to the special issue overall, uh, Dan, I was wondering if you could talk about some takeaways or some contributions that you see the issue as a body of work making to the field. Well, I'll just pick up on the theme that Lawrence was just talking about. You know, one of the things that we hoped with this special issue was that it would contribute to a conversation about race and math education. And that, you know, there are all sorts of ways in which math education has made a social turn, but explicit conversations about race haven't necessarily been prominent as a part of that social turn. And, you know, maybe moving away from sort of takeaways for the field, for me personally, participation in this project and work with the doctoral students and faculty who were designing this project 
was a wonderful opportunity to challenge myself to think about the role of race in math education and to try to understand ways in which math education lives inside our larger society and that the social dynamics that are going on in the society are present in, in our classrooms in all sorts of ways. Race being one example, immigration and ethnicity being another example, social class yet another, mm -hmm. but not so much as categories, but really the way in which Lawrence was describing it and that Danny Martin has really pushed us to do is not as a static category, but as a set of experiences and therefore resources that people bring to bear in interactions. And I think that's a real challenge. I don't know that we, as a community, it feels like we're this just at the beginning of that kind of work. So another thing that Lawrence and I are working on right now with Patricio Herbst at Michigan is a chapter in a handbook, uh, the ARA Handbook for Research on Teaching, a chapter there in which we're trying to push our conceptualizations of the instructional triangle to both capture how instruction happens inside the institutions of school and also how the institutions of schooling are then embedded in the larger society. And I think that that's important intellectual work for the field to do, but it also requires all sorts of things of us as members of our society to engage sometimes in some conversations that are, are not quite as comfortable. I mean, some of the conversations inside this research group were challenging, and there's a chapter that Lawrence wrote for a book that Danny Martin edited that I think really has in it a, a wonderful set of issues to consider as diverse groups of researchers consider doing this work. And I'm, I'm hoping that that's another thing that people will see as a resource coming out of the project beyond the special issue. Mm -hmm. I'm speaking with Dan Chazen and Lawrence Clark from the University of Maryland. And Lawrence, I wanted to also go to you um, and ask you about next steps that you're taking. What's, you know, what's the next thing that you see in this body of work that you've uh, laid out? The work that has emerged from the case studies project that we, we've been referencing has really helped me begin to think about this knowledge base that teachers need for supporting their students' mathematics identity development and formation. And so what I'm trying to do right now is to create a framework that helps to structure and helps us understand that knowledge base in ways that we can teach it and measure it, and we can identify whether teachers have a deep knowledge base for supporting their students' mathematics identity formation, or if they don't. So I've incorporated a, a survey a self-report survey in a large quantitative study that attempts to measure teachers' awareness of their students' mathematics identity formation and development. Just to what extent are teachers even knowledgeable that the students are experiencing mathematics and not just learning mathematics using mm -hmm. the framework that we described earlier. And mm -hmm. um, the quantitative analysis is quite interesting in that teachers' awareness of their students' mathematics identity formation interacts with their knowledge in ways that influences student achievement based on our preliminary analysis of the data. So what I'm attempting to do is move out of the qualitative space and move into identifying measures and well tools that can help us 
capture and measure the extent to which teachers possess this knowledge base. So I'm moving forward with that, but we're still not done with the, the qualitative data because there's lots, lots more to think about and to analyze. And uh, so we're still staying in, I'm still staying in the space of trying to better understand the relationship between the African-American mathematics teacher, their students, and the history of mathematics education as a whole. Mm -hmm. And Dan, any next steps that you want to mention? Um, well, let me, let me mention one that's a sort of shorter term thing. And that is, you know, one thing that the project really helped us work on is the way in which urban schooling is in some ways a euphemism for race and mm -hmm. how race is bound up in the category urban. And so uh, there are ways in which there's com there are conversations about how the teaching of mathematics in urban setting is different than in other settings. And yet there really isn't sort of a research base that examines that carefully. And so one thing that's intriguing for us with this sample of the six uh, teachers that we have is the role of the curriculum guide in urban schooling and understanding when and where teachers feel the right and the agency to depart from the curriculum guide and when they do not. And so it seems to me that's a really ripe and important issue for examination sort of moving away from the sort of the specifics of the data collected for this project it was really a wonderful experience to have the kind of funding that we had in MacMattel where we could work on designing a research project together with doctoral students and carrying out it out together with doctoral students and to have it endure over time so as new faculty came and graduate students graduated that there was this project that was designed by the people who were doing it in a way that sometimes doesn't happen with PI-funded research. The other thing that we tried to do with that project was collect the data and store the data in such a way that it would be useful over time to other mm -hmm. scholars. So that, for mm -hmm. example, people who would want to do specific kind of comparisons about the nature of urban schooling, how it might be different in different parts of the United States, how it might change over time, how the context in the years in which we collected the data, the policy context might have influenced the specifics of the cases. Those are all things that the data could potentially support over time. So one thing I'll be really intrigued to see is whether we can create any mechanism by which future doctoral students at our place or people in other places will come to try to reuse this data, reanalyze this data, and perhaps gain different insights than the ones that this particular group came to. Hmm. My guests are Dan Chazen and Lawrence Clark from the University of Maryland, and before I let them go, I have just one more question for each of them, uh, and I ask this of all my guests, so uh, please bear with me, but if you were not in the field of mathematics education, what would you see yourself doing? And I'll start with Lawrence. That's a funny question. Um, okay, so I, my, my teenage years were right there in the middle of when MTV and VH1 emerged, so I was a music video junkie. I, I when just, they still I, played music videos back Exactly. <laughs> I remember those days. So I really think, it's funny you should ask this, I really think that I would be creating, professionally creating, 
music videos. If that if mm-hmm. if I could have another job, it would be the per, be a music video producer. I would love to. Uh-huh. Do that. And I guess it's never yeah. too late, right? <laughs> I can't play an instrument and I can't sing, but I love the visuals associated with music, and so I would mm-hmm. I would love to do that. Well, I'll tease you a little bit because you you sort of have oh, it's yeah. not exactly a music video from this project, but there is a different product that came out of this project. Maybe you should say something. Yeah, about. we're we're creating a suite of animations that uh-huh. are associated with the perspectives and practices of the teachers in our study, so that we could use them as as tools in teacher education, as as also uh, research tools. Mm-hmm. And yeah, so we do have we have one animation. Uh-huh. In the can, and we we've got others on the board, and uh-huh. so yeah, I guess I am a producer of. It's not quite thriller, but it's a start. Right? <laughs> <laughs> uh, and and Dan, if you weren't in mathematics education, well, you know that's it's funny because I'll give a real old school response. Um, with my younger child, I've been watching the Uncle Drew videos. So when I was a kid, the idea of owning a, a bookstore. So that like you'd spend your day in the bookstore, that was like mm-hmm. a really appealing idea. Now, of course, mm-hmm. that that would be a disastrous job to be in these days. <laughs> but that that was something when I was a kid. I always thought maybe I would grow mm-hmm. up and do that. Yeah, and I'm sure you get to do some reading in your work, right, Jim? <laughs> uh, not as much as I would like. I gotta uh. be honest. <laughs> <laughs> well, Dan Lawrence, thank you so much for being here and talking about your work. Well, thank you for having us. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of the MathEd Podcast. If you'd like to support the podcast financially, please use the PayPal donation button at mathedpodcast.com.